0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Boundless Body Radio. I'm your host, Casey Ruff, and today we have another amazing guest to introduce to you now. John Ferreira, PhD, is a neuropsychologist who specializes in psychological and neuropsychological assessment. He has a PhD from the Clinical Neuropsychology sub-program of the CUNY Graduate Center and has been an NYS licensed psychologist since 2010. I'm just going to warn the listener right now. I'm going to stumble through this introduction. There's a lot of big words in here. As a young neuropsychologist in his early 30s, which was around 2011, he serendipitously learned that he had a sensitivity to gluten and was experiencing occasional flare-ups of psoriasis. Currently, Dr. Ferreira is the owner and operator of Integrative Neuropsychological Services, PLLC, founded in 2012. His specialties include but are not Limited to autism, including high-functioning autism, dyslexia, a reading disability, nonverbal learning disability, and other complex presentations. In addition to his work as a neuropsychologist, he specializes in integrative and functional medicine and offers integrative or metabolic health coaching for families and individuals. Dr. Ferreira is also a certified Chris Cresser Foundation Medicine Practitioner and has also completed an ADHD fellowship through the psychiatry redefined platform of James Greenblatt MD. Whew. John Ferreira, PhD. What an absolute honor it is to welcome you to Boundless Body Radio. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Casey. It is such an honor to have you. Um, I had assumed that based on your last name and knowing already that you had a place in Portugal, I'd assumed that you'd already uh, been fluent in Portuguese, and that was not the case. So all morning, I've been preparing to introduce you using the Portuguese version of your last name um, rather than the way it is would be read in America. So I had to make a quick uh, pivot there. <laughs>
1: Yes. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I'm not Portuguese, but people, you know, mistake. they think that, especially when I'm in Portugal, people think that all the time. So why did you decide to get a place there? Uh, a couple of, uh, last year probably, but, uh, I love to surf. I live, uh, I'm in New York city, but I live out in uh, Rockaway beach. And I moved here a few years ago just, just to be close to the beach and I love surfing and, um, you know, Portugal is kind of like just takes it to the next level. Um, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, much better surfing, cleaner ocean. And, um, so, uh, it's, uh, part of the reason why, why I'm, why I'm moving over there, yeah. but also Southern Portugal, it's just, yeah, it's a great place. You know, it's, uh, in the Algarve region, they have, um, really great laws against pesticides. So all of the produce is clean, uh, and the, uh, the food is great. There's so much fresh seafood and, uh, big shrimps that, you know, seem like they're like, you know, that we you can't get here and, and other, other things, uh, so so yeah. So there's a lot of reasons, a lot of things I love about uh, I love about Portugal.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. I actually just heard recently that there was surfing options in New York. I did not know that that there was even a place to go. And it sounds like it's okay. But Portugal is an absolute mecca for surfing. Isn't that where they have the massive wave, like the biggest wave in the world, generally?
1: Yes, yeah, Nazaré, Portugal is like where, like, currently, like, like, kind of like the 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 spot for uh, for big wave surfing. That's definitely not the kind of surfing that I'm doing. <laughs> there's, a, there's a little bit of something for everyone in uh, in Portugal. You know, the whole country is basically surrounded by uh, you know on on the coast, and and there there are so many different like surf spots for all different levels.
0: You, you could have just lied to us and said that 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 you were owning that wave that you, that it, you made that wave your bitch. Like nobody would know the difference.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, no, you can't lie about that. I think those are different uh different uh human beings who, who are able to surf those waves. Wow. Able to, you know, maintain calmness in that ocean. <laughs> it's uh that's that's definitely uh not not no, something I, I, I'm, uh, I'm cut out for. Yeah,
0: they look pretty insane. Those videos are, are kind of fun to watch, but definitely a thanks, but no thanks. I'll never be attempting that for sure. And the place I lived in Brazil, further down in the south, we had tons of people that had moved from Portugal. So the language was just a little bit different, but some of the nicest people, they were awesome. They talk really fast, but they were um, really great people all around. So cool spot. It sounds like you might make a transition and move there full time in the future.
1: Yes. Yeah. In a few years. Yeah. I have to figure out, you know, exactly, um, you know, some, some details, but, but definitely within, within the next few years, I have a son in 10th grade. So once he, once he moves on to college, then, uh, I'll really uh, start, you know, I have to wait till he at least finishes high school. Wow.
0: Well, you definitely don't look old enough to have a 10th grader. So congratulations on that. Before we get into your history, hey, thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. Before we get into your history and your interests with autism, you also have a very interesting health story. We kind of alluded to it a little bit in the introduction, but it sounds like you were dealing with um, some health issues yourself. Um, when did that start?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I guess, you know, really back in, you know, 2001 is when I graduated college and, you know, prior to that, I, I was dealing with, you know, I started, started feeling, you know, dealing with like some anxiety and stuff, social anxiety, Try, did a bat with antidepressants back then. Uh, that was unsuccessful. You know, then it wasn't until nine years later, uh, I was in, you know, in graduate school, maybe I was after graduate school and uh, I cut out gluten and all of a sudden um, my, you know, brain fog went away and that was kind of, it was pretty immediate. It was almost like two days after I I stopped eating it and I noticed, you know, I just started feeling much better, you know, doing neuropsych evaluations. I have to write these long neuropsych reports. And so it's, uh, you know, it was common for me to just, you know, get, get stuck and just not want to do anything. And, uh, yeah, all of a sudden that, that experience just changed and it went away. Um, and, yeah, you know, I stuck with that for a couple of years, um, and I had developed psoriasis, and you know wasn't connecting it to my diet at all at the time. You know, I saw a uh, dermatologist, and he put me on some some medication that was helping with the psoriasis. Didn't tell me anything about diet. Um, I actually told him about the diet, how I was like gluten free, and he said, "Oh, that's great. You know, that sounds awesome." But you know, didn't really make any connection between that and my my symptoms. Um, but then, for whatever reason, I cut out refined sugar and um my psoriasis went away so it was the gluten for a couple of years for me and then cutting out the refined sugar and my, my psoriasis went away uh, you know completely yeah uh, and, and and so uh that was kind of like what set me on my path and what what real what made me realize you know the importance of uh of diet not just for you know mental health because that was my first uh the first benefit that i had but also for you know you know for for, for physical health
0: yeah. We may be giving away the ending just a little bit here, but eventually you found your way to carnivore. And I'm wondering what you mentioned earlier, as far as like anxiety, what did you notice mentally when you made a further step by going into carnivore diet? Did that help even, even more with your mental state?
1: Yes. Yeah, really. I mean, it just kind of like helped kind of like get rid of like a lot of the baggage that I was carrying and, and just kind of like a lot of like the, the spinning of my wheels and the inefficient thinking. Um, i would you know prior to cutting out gluten i would wake up every morning uh, i just have a you know negative cloud over my my, my thought pattern and I, and I would you know tell myself okay just ignore your thoughts for the first you know hour of the day don't even like you know uh don't don't, don't even consider them uh, and that was just kind of like what i thought was normal um and that is you know th- that's kind of like one of the uh the most noticeable things you know uh, uh, is just that that that's not there anymore
0: Yeah. Did you realize it was there while you were going through it or was it only retroactive when you changed the diet and you were like, Holy smokes. Like my, my brain was going crazy.
1: It was retroactive, right? I didn't realize that I even had, I didn't realize that it was even there until, until I made the changes. Yeah.
0: Okay. So April 19 uh, or April, 2019 is when I started carnivore and it was about 10 days, 12 days, 14 days in when my anxiety dropped out and same, same thing. It's the reason why I'm asking you the question is like, Wow. Like this is calm and peaceful. And like, I didn't realize I had anxiety, but I totally did. And anytime I've cheated on it, and especially with something like sugar, I I eat way too much of it. I go way past the point that I can stop and that anxiety comes back. And that's the primary reason I'm on carnivore. There's lots of different benefits that I love, but that is the reason that I do it. And it sounds like that's very similar to you in your case.
1: Very similar to me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm the kind of person where like, I'm better at restricting foods. Um, you know, if I have a little bit then I tend to overeat and have too much of them, I'm looking for them again the next day. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, I do much better with discipline and restricting foods, restricting whole categories of food. Uh, but, but not just restricting, I think, you know, also focusing on, you know, the delicious foods that, you know, that I do get to eat.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it, it, you're not really suffering eating, you know, eggs cooked in butter and steak every day. It's pretty great. <laughs> Love that part.
1: Well, right, exactly.
0: Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, we're already starting off really controversial with a meat-heavy diet, uh, totally against the guidelines. Why don't we continue with the the seemingly controversial? It's so interesting that this is. Um, you know, even like adjacent to controversy. And I understand because there's a lot of, I guess, like emotion wrapped up in this. And we might be talking, obviously we're talking about autism. There seems to be a movement going around that like if you are trying to treat autism or make autism a little bit better in a child that's like it's it's like judging them for being autistic which I, I don't really see it that way we might even talk about things like vaccines and their impact on this kind of thing and so I I always just wish we could have open communications and people can choose whatever they like that was the frustrating thing about covid vaccines to me I don't know whether I made the right choice or not but I would have liked to have everybody's opinion and be able to talk about it and didn't feel like we were ever able to do that so um let's let's start with your story getting wrapped up with autism. When did you become interested and know that this was the career path you were going to go down?
1: Yes. Well, so I was interested in neuropsychology. I was uh, you know, interested in graduate school and brain imaging. I wanted to just learn more about the brain. And so I did fMRI research. We were taking pictures of the brain as it was working and it was great. Uh, but, you know, at the time there weren't many clinical applications for that. Uh, Still today, it's hard to, you know, clinically to use fMRI or brain imaging. It's more of a research tool. And so I was, you know, pushed in the, you know, clinical clinical direction. And and as a neuropsychologist, I, you know, started working with kids and uh, just, you know, being in the time and place, I just was confronted with with autism, you know, so much like time and time again, uh, you know, and, and so partly I began to develop a specialty. And so those are the cases that I get. But also, that's those are the cases that are there. Like when you hear about the increasing prevalence, it's real. Like it, it really is. Like a uh, seriously increasing prevalence that uh, that's happening. And I've kind of been in the in the middle of it. You know, in the beginning of my career, I started to kind of look into well, what's going on? It's got to be environmental. There's something in the environment. But at that point in time, when I looked into it, my head just started to spin because you hear about air pollution you hear about you know parental uh you know nutrient deficiencies in parents or you know viruses during pregnancy uh and and there are so many factors that are involved and so it just seems that like it just seemed impossible to come to the you know the solution of what's causing it yeah very interesting yeah yeah and then for me uh it was uh you know in 2021 i heard um Chris Kanabi, to give a low-carb, down-under talk about seed oils and diseases of civilization. And it was at that point I had heard, I knew about Weston Weston Price, but, you know, I I didn't know the, the kind of the scope of it. I didn't realize that heart disease really didn't exist before the 1900s and that it's, you know, been the leading cause of death and still has been the leading cause of death. You know, since, you know, since like the mid you know, 1930s, you know, I, I didn't know about that. I didn't know about age related macular degeneration, how that is a new disease, how that didn't, you know, exist. Uh, and the way that he, you know, uh, you know, linked everything to, you know, not just the seed oils, but, you know, that that's, you know, one of the major driving factor. It just kind of like in my head kind of made everything click. Uh, And and I just realized, okay, like this, this is, you know, this really can be, you know, significant. But but that was, that was two years ago. And and, uh, it took me a while to, to really see the connection with autism, just because there's this added layer of, uh, I guess, challenge and difficulty in autism. Um, where uh, like some of some of what you mentioned, where it, it is uh, sometimes frowned upon if you're trying to cure autism because like what's wrong? You know, you're saying that there's something wrong with them if you if you want to cure them, right? Uh, so, uh, so 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 that that that's that's part of it. But also, it just seemed like it was just um, uh, well, th- th- there's so much uh, negativity put towards people who are trying to uh, you know go against the grain. In that space. And the mainstream dogma is that, you know, diet doesn't really if you're changing diet, it's not going to really help so much. It's not really worth the trouble. Um, And I just started seeing more and more people who were making uh, amazing transformations. And and, and so and and when I looked at how or what they were doing, it's it's the same thing. They're, They're following the same principles that we hear about from these other approaches, whether it's, you know, Dale Bredesen talking about Alzheimer's disease, or, uh, you know, Terry Walls and multiple sclerosis, or, uh, you know, Phil Ovedia, Ken Berry, and, you know, um, know, it's all the the same principles, whether it's, you know, low carb, keto, carnivore, um, but also, you know, avoiding processed foods, avoiding environmental toxins, eating nutrient-dense food, paying attention to stress and sleep, and also, you know, getting things like, like sunlight. Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, it, it all, um, you know, th- there, there is like one solution, I think, that, uh, you know, at least the same principles that you can apply uh, for for the for all the problems, including autism.
0: Yeah, I mean, you see it all the time. Like, it feels like you're going a little nuts when you're telling people, like, this one thing can fix all of these different problems, and it just seems like it really can. And kudos to Chris Kenobi. He's just such an amazing person. Would you ever guess that by his, his claim is that it was about eight years ago he was the worst public speaker on the planet and taught himself how to do public speaking so that he could then go out and share his message and do presentations. Would you ever believe he was not like a total natural at public speaking?
1: Right. Yeah, no, he's great. Yeah. I love, I love, I've seen so many of his presentations by now and um, yeah, he's great. And I just yeah recently learned too, that he's not even, he does it all pro bono. He's uh, you know, he's not getting a, uh, He's not working anymore, and he, he's, uh, he's, yeah, he's just doing this all just to give back and spread the message.
0: Yeah, so on that note, as, as of the time of this recording, he and Suzanne Alexander, the co-author of his book, The Ancestral Diet Revolution, flew on their own dime into the South Pacific, and they're traveling around to all these different islands, literally like modern-day Weston A. Price style, to go to um, some of these indigenous cultures and really check out like what they've been eating. And they, they have to take these crazy long flights and these really tiny planes to get these really remote islands islands. The cost must be so high, but yeah, they're doing it because they love the research and they want to share the message. Super cool. All right.
1: Wow. Well, I didn't know that. Yeah. I can't wait to, uh, I can't wait to see what he comes up with. That's yeah. great that he's doing. It. Should be amazing. We should
0: be able to host them in a few weeks when they get back to check out their adventures and see what it was like. But yeah, he does amazing work. Their claim is in the book, it's more the seed oils than it is the sugar and or the carbohydrates. And I I have to say, I'm not fully convinced one way or another. I just know both of them are a really big problem. Do you have, like, a, 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 I don't know, a way you lean, whether it's the carbohydrates and sugar, whether it's the seed oils, or, or it doesn't really matter. If you go low-carb or low-seed oil, you're going to be low in both.
1: Well, I I, I avoid them both. So uh, and as far as like, do I, I? I don't know which is worse than the other. I think that they're. I think they're both bad. I think you know having like a you know high you know eating a you know high you know, carbohydrate diet is, is and and you know keeping your your sugars up high in your in your in your blood is bad. Um, and I think you know eating the seed oils is going to contribute to that. Um, and so I think, you know, it's best to, uh, it's best to avoid both, yeah. but, uh, I guess I'll leave it to some of the other folks like Tucker Goodrich and, uh, Lane, uh, I forget, I forget his last name, Lane Norton to, uh, have, have those debates. Yeah,
0: exactly. We'll leave it to them. I'll stay out of it too. That sounds great.
1: Uh, I'm sorry. When I do see those debates though, I, I really am one that looks at the, you know, the history and looks at, you know, all of the converging evidence. And it means a lot to me when, when I look at Chris Canabi's, you know, a graphs and when he sees and looks at well, what's changed? What are the factors that have changed in the diet, and when did they change? And when these did these diseases start to pop up? Uh, and uh, and and so, so I, I definitely lean on the side of seed oils being more toxic. You know, and and I'm not not being harmless. Like, I, I definitely don't think that seed oils are harmless.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. I'm glad you added that in. That's a perfect segue. So you mentioned the rising prevalence of autism. And I think anybody should be able to look out there and see, like, anecdotally, that certainly seems like that's the case. I, I don't remember a lot of that when I was growing up. It was a few kids, but not many. And now it seems a lot, a lot more. So is this a diagnosis kind of a thing? Are we getting better at the technology to diagnose these kinds of things? Or is this problem really, truly getting worse
1: the, the problem is really truly getting worse like definitely we're, we're getting better at diagnosing it there are more services available so that fun by function you know more people are going to want to have that label so there's some you know some of it is due to you know increasing diagnosis but uh, most of it is real like most of the cases are low functioning cases uh kids who have autism intellectual disability, and there's no question of whether or not they have, you know, autism or not in, the, in, in these cases. Uh, and, and so, uh, and it's also, I think, the fact that it is something that is being reported in multiple places. Uh, there are good studies out of, you know, Dublin, Ireland recently. Uh, there was a recent study that came out of Italy uh, recently Um, and they are showing that there, you know, that there, there's increases in in, in multiple places and, you know, in similar, similar data.
0: Yeah. Okay. So you have talked about a documentary that covers this kind of thing, and I haven't watched the documentary. I was able to watch the trailer. I just got done watching it. And well, it's it just, it's so interesting how parallel this runs to everything we know about health recommendations and nutrition recommendations. Like it, it's not new that they're saying like, we put all our money into the genetic thing and that's really the wrong place. It sounds like cancer research, like, and, and the studies that they were talking about, again, they're not like that new. Like it's been around for quite a while that the environment is a big deal and, and it is huge for autism.
1: Yes. Yeah. And I'm happy to see that there are, there's so much more momentum and movement in the, you know, autism and diet field. Like even, uh, you know, even since I did, you know, I was on, you know, Ovedia's podcast and talked about it. Uh, there's, you know, um, I I was at a Autism Research Institute, uh, lecture on diet and, uh, they were talking, you know, you know, the, the autism diet is, you know, very similar to, you know the the same diet. You know the 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 diet that you know that you hear about for you know diabetes and fatty liver and you know and then you hear David Unwin and and you know Ken Berry talk about. Um, but it's it, you know starts with like the gluten free, casein free, soy free, uh, and also avoiding food dyes. Mm. And then, now you know the evolution of it is now they've kind of moved towards talking about low carb and keto. They emphasize high protein. And they also emphasize looking, examining the vegetables that you're eating, and making sure that you're you're not eating high oxalate vegetables if you if you have trouble with those. Um, and so it seems like there really is this convergence where um, you know uh, I think the based on you know I guess just clinical reports mostly. It's not clinical research. It's more mostly like just clinical reports of. of uh, and, and, so, and some research studies of just su- success, but uh, you know things are evolving towards, you know, you know lowering carbs and increasing protein. You know, and and, and I think there's a reason for that, right? I think that the, um, you know, the I, th- I think there's a reason why those things are the things that are that are, that are helping.
0: So it's more like case reports then, right? Like this is one person, it's an N of one, he did this, it got a really good result. That's not, like you said, a, a randomized clinical control trial, but it's good evidence that must be stacking up at this point?
1: Yes, yes. And the things that they're doing are the same things that are being done in these other studies that we're seeing. When we see, you know, David Unwin's recent type 2 diabetes study, I think that was in a British Medical Journal, um, you know, they're, they're they're following those same uh, those same protocols basically. Um, and, and so, so I think that that gives more, um, you know, support to the, you know, the claims that you see, uh, in these, you know, mostly most of them are case case studies. Yes.
0: Yeah. When you start to add it up with all the other chronic diseases that you're talking about, all those case studies, like, dude, that's a lot of n of ones at this point. Like, it's going to be a sad day when a carnivore dies of a heart attack, and that's going to still all the headlines everywhere forever that this diet causes this you know bad thing, which isn't the case. It's just there's there's a lot of really positive stories out there, and a lot of people improving with so many of these conditions.
1: Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Yeah. And, and, and I think it's, yeah, I think it's, um, <clears throat> yeah, I think that the, the, the reason is, is multifactorial. I think one of the reasons is because of insulin resistance and the excess sugars uh, and, you know, and that kind of like fertilizes the soil and sets the ground for a lot of these diseases to develop. But the other piece, the other, you know, uh, I think component is like that is the toxic load piece. And that's the, you know, the glyphosate, the pesticides, the plastics, too. But these all interact. Right. Because the, the the pesticides on the soil and on the crops are degrading the mineral content of those which are contributing to the nutrient deficient, the epidemic of nutrient deficiency in the population. And when you're nutrient deficiency, you're less your body is less able to deal with toxins that are in the environment. So you're kind of, you know, you're setting yourself up to be less, you know, protected against the environment. But then the other thing that glyphosate does is it allows heavy metals to travel to the brain, allows heavy metals to cross the blood brain barrier. So when you hear, you know, reports of, you know, heavy metals being in the brain, Um, And there's one, you know, one study that, uh, you know, shows, you know, it was a postmortem study, five individuals with autism, and they all had aluminum in their brain. Um, And so, you know, the obvious, you know, thing to think is that you know the vaccines put the aluminum there and and that very that very well may be true but that's not the only case right it it is possible that the aluminum cut in from the environment and got into the brain somehow and and this you know having lots of glyphosate is going to increase the likelihood of that of that happening so so i think it's very you know it's 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 multifactorial it's absolutely fascinating yeah. And I think, you know, and the connection between all, um, you know, I guess the fact that we have things like Alzheimer's disease is also increasing and, in, and, in, you know, similar, similar rates as, as autism. Uh, I think that is more evidence to show that it's a multifactorial cause because, you know, people who have Alzheimer's, they didn't follow the CDC schedule. And so they didn't, you know, they, they, you know, they, they, they didn't have that, that same exposure. And so that there's something else that that's at play that, that's leading to their disease process.
0: Yeah, D- dude, have you seen the CDC schedule, like what they recommend now, like the number of shots that you're supposed to get before age, like three months or six months? I, I looked it up recently. I could not believe it.
1: Yeah, I couldn't. Yeah, someone sent me a PDF of like a training manual for nurses. And it was just how to like, how you could administer up to seven at a time. <laughs> and it was like a, you know, picture of a baby and just like all the injection oh sites are all seven, you know, all, all seven, uh, injections.
0: Oh my goodness. That's crazy. Okay. We're going to come back to that. I really want to talk to you about some of those factors in, in what you call the multifactorial problem. Let's, yeah. let's, let's first t- tell us about traditional, the traditional system and autism itself. When is it diagnosed? Um, you know, can it happen anytime? Is it at birth? I know the parents can also be a factor, you know, one of the factors that can contribute. Um, and then what would be like the classic kind of traditional treatments if if I were to go to a hospital, you know, for my kid, if they were diagnosed, like what what things would then happen?
1: Yeah. So usually autism is diagnosed before a child is two years old. And from zero to two, if a child is like demonstrating delays in their speaking or walking in their milestones, then you can go and you can go to early intervention and you get uh, an, an evaluation. And oftentimes that's when it's diagnosed. If not, then sometimes it takes a little bit, uh, a little bit longer for the diagnosis to be made. Uh, but you know, once that diagnosis is made, the, the early intervention system is great at hooking tra- children and families up with different services. So speech therapy, they get, uh, you know, we get placement in a specialized school environment, like a specialized preschool that has, you know, uh, you know extra teachers, teachers who have special training, um, and you know, and so, and so they get access to all sorts of services and supports. Um, sometimes, you know, oftentimes they'll get recommended for uh, ABA therapy, and, um, which, uh, which is just like a structured um, um, therapeutic intervention. Um, oftentimes it's one-on-one. Um, usually it, it, it's one-on-one, uh, but it's just, uh, you know, behavior, behavior therapy. So it's just like a reinforcement system uh, that, that's, uh, that's put in place. Um, and, uh, and, and they'll, they'll prescribe medication. If a child is, you know, unable to focus or sit still, or if they're violent, they, they prescribe medication. They usually start with stimulants like the ADHD type medication. Uh, but the, oftentimes that leads to problems with sleeping or problems slowing down at night. So they combine that with guanfacine or clonidine at night. So I'll see the, that that'll be the first, uh, the first thing that, that'll be tried. And then, if they're still dysregulated at that point, they'll add risperidol on top of it. Risperidol is an antipsychotic medication that has all sorts of uh, you know negative side effects, including metabolic side effects. One of them is it causes insulin resistance.
0: Oh, good. <clears throat> so
1: if you're on risperidol and you want to try to get on a low carb diet. Like, good luck, because you know your body is really going to be craving those those carbohydrates. Um, and so not only do they not you know, address diet or recommend diet. The, the the medications that they're prescribing in many cases are really, you know, you know, counterproductive to, you know, a lot of these dietary recommendations. Yeah.
0: Shocker. Um, okay. So what is the effectiveness of any of those treatments? Like what what would be an expectation? Does the child generally improve by 10%, by 50%? Is was one of those treatments more effective than another, or is it just kind of a crop shoot?
1: You know, it, it's really tough to say. I mean, they, they, they you do see improvement, but um, more often than not, like I as a neuropsychologist, the way it works, is, especially in New York, is every three years at least I'll, I'll see a child and have to do a reassessment. Um, and so I get to see them, you know, three years later, and then another three years later. Oftentimes the children have the same deficits, you know, the same, you know, same even the same academic levels. And this is, you know, this is, you know, three years later but even still, you know, the same, you know, behavioral, behavioral issues. So um, I I see that, you know, um, most of the time it's, you know, children are still significantly impaired when they're done with uh, schooling. And and so that can last until they're 21. They get a whole bunch of support because they're in a school. They have a one-to-one aid. There's three teachers in their building, uh, in the classroom. Uh, then all of a sudden they turn twenty one and there's no more school and that's it you know it's very, very difficult there there's oftentimes there's uh, a lack of you know another another option for these for these you know adults at this point point. Uh, and so it's um yeah it's it's very tragic you know a lot of times you know families who you know really have to uh, um you know, sacrifice their own lives really just to uh, to take care of their kids.
0: Wow. That's, I mean, the depression and suicide rate must be disproportional in that population, right?
1: Well, I, I guess so. Yes. Yeah. And, and especially, I know they, the the divorce rate in parents of children with autism and special needs is extremely high. Um, yes. Depression, of course. Um, But then the other thing is that, you know, they also, they have all of these other problems, right? They also have the obesity, the diabetes, the uh, fatty liver disease. And so that's why, so now that when they're coming into my office, my evaluation now, I almost always will have a conversation with them about diet. And I sometimes will end up, you know, handing them Ovedia's book, and I have his book there because I love the way he goes through the different ways that you can eat metabolically healthy. So it's not saying you have to be carnivore. You know, I want to tell everyone to be carnivore. It's, I, I realize you can't; it's not going to work for everybody. Uh, but yeah, so that they, they get, I, I've gotten such positive feedback from people that when, when I do have the diet conversation with them, because they've you know heard from their friends and from social media, things like if your diet doesn't, the doctor doesn't ask you about diet, then he's a bad do- doctor or, you know, they've heard things like this, that, you know, that saturated fat isn't really bad or meat isn't really bad. And everyone wants to believe that, you know, if you tell people that meat isn't bad, they, they, they love to hear that, you know? And, and so that's why it's it's, so they they they're, they're sometimes surprised when I hand them uh, Ovadia's book with the picture of all the uh, you know the, the meat <laughs> on the uh, on the front of it, uh, but but surprised in a, in a good way. Yeah. Um. So I've gotten great uh great great feedback so far.
0: So you've noticed from the ground level that people are becoming more aware of this stuff.
1: Absolutely. Yes. Wow.
0: Great. Oh, that's awesome.
1: Even, yeah. Even the seed oils, which I'm surprised about that. But when I talk to them, you like, know, everyone is like we know, so many people like already are like you know they they they're eating olive oil or at least what they think is olive oil but at least they're they're buying olive oil from the store it's a, it's a uh, step but no, but they know yes yeah yeah they, they at least know that um that the seed oils are um not as good for
0: you. Wow. That's very encouraging. And you mentioned, you know, the the, the person with autism themselves having a higher um, likelihood of some of those other chronic diseases. I'm I'm sure it's a tough question to answer because we know the numbers for America and it's a vast, vast majority of people are already metabolically unhealthy, but it must still be disproportionately higher with a lot of those same chronic diseases in the families of people with autism. Is that correct?
1: It must be. I don't have data. On that, but uh, but but uh, I think so. I mean, there is. I do. There are studies to suggest that um, mothers. That all of the studies are on mothers. There's no studies on fathers. But mothers who have PCOS, mothers who are obese, mothers who have nutrient deficiencies, especially like iron. I think B12 is where, where the research is. But they're more likely to have children with either autism, ADHD, or intellectual disability.
0: Yeah, gotcha. I've always wondered that too, like as as these generations of people going through bad health are going again, one generation to the next to the next, it just seems like everything is getting so much worse. I mean, the fatty liver diseases we're finding in kids, uh, dementia, Alzheimer's happening earlier and earlier kids with type two diabetes to the, you know, we can't call it childhood onset diabetes anymore because kids get it now. You just wonder like how that is compounding. All the way down. And to me, all of the things that you've described seem really important, but nutrition sounds like the one that's the most controllable. It might not be um, easy, but it is simple if you can do it. Um, so yeah, what, what, what are your thoughts there? If you could choose like one thing, would diet be the, the major thing you'd try to focus on?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. I think diet is like the, like, I, I think that a lot. there's a lot of other things that you can do and that a lot of people do do, but if you don't have diet as a found a solid diet as a foundation, a lot of these other things aren't, aren't going to work. Gotcha. I was, uh, no, I, I was just going to say like So you hear a lot of things about other treatments that people will do for, you know, for autism, like hyperbaric oxygen or stem cell treatments, um, B12 shots, uh, and these, these things, they can all be helpful and they, can all be effective. However, if that's all you do, if you just do one of those things and everything else is the same and you don't pay attention to diet and you don't pay attention to sleep or, you know, they're on a tablet, you know, you know, 24 hours a day, you know, then it's not, you know, it's not going to work, you know, so you have to have the foundation of diet, you know, in order for these other things to work. And, and, and because it doesn't end, it's not just a one-time exposure, it's like daily that we're being, uh, you know, we're ingesting this, whether we like it or not, we're breathing in the air. um, And, you know, it's uh, something that uh, is, you know, know, pretty much everyone is, is being affected by.
0: Okay. So with the work of like Verta Health and the work of the Unwinds in the UK and all the things that are coming out, I feel pretty confident and comfortable saying that we can reverse diabetes. I think we can do that. I think whatever damage has been done might be tricky and you might have to live with that, but you can at least reverse the type two diabetes. Are you comfortable saying that we can reverse autism?
1: In some cases, yes. Yes, you can reverse autism. However, I guess Um, You can't, um, you can't, um, you can't fix intellectual disability. So if you have autism plus intellectual disability, there's only so much improvement that you can make. Um, And and so, so so that would be one condition. Uh, But um, if not reverse autism, you can greatly, um, reduce its, you know, level of, you know, uh, level of impairment in, in your life, right? Like you can, um, you know, get to a point where it's not impairing you. If you do have autism and intellectual disability, you can get to a point where you're not reacting aggressively. And then maybe there's a day program that you can go to and your mom or dad can have a job and they don't have to you know, give up their career. Yeah, And so it might be, in some cases, it might be a big change and a, a complete transformation. But in other cases, it might just be, you know, these little subtle differences, but that could make a big difference improvement in quality of life.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. And you know, again, when I'm watching that trailer um, of the documentary, they, they know they're talking about inflammation in the body and in the brain. And so you look at a low carbohydrate, ketogenic or carnivore type diet, not only are you providing all of the nutrients that you mentioned people are can be deficient in, you're also eliminating all of that inflammation. And so that makes a lot of sense that diet would be super helpful for those people. Um, before we talk about like the positive stories and uh, anecdotes that you've seen and 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 all of that wonderful stuff. Let's talk about some of those other risk factors that you mentioned. Why is it glyphosate specifically that's such a high risk factor?
1: Uh yes. Yeah, so, well so glyphosate is, you know, because it's you know so prevalent in the, you know, in the environment. And glyphosate is just one of the pesticides. You know, it's used in a you know combination. Um, but it's uh something that's uh really hard to avoid uh especially when you are following a plant-based uh low-fat uh diet like you know basically following like you know standard american diet or conventional uh medical you know recommendations because it's you know all the bread is covered in glyphosate Canola oil is covered in glyphosate. All of the fruits and the vegetables is covered in glyphosate. Um, and the reason why it's so bad, um, it's multifactorial, but in the body, um, it affects our microbiome directly um, by you know, uh, killing you know, some of, some of our, you know, the good bacteria through you know, what's called the, you know, the shikimate pathway. Um, so it affects the microbiome. Um, so it, it um, lowers our bacterial diversity. Um, but then it also, it allows metals to travel to our brain. So it, it, it's part of the contributing factor for how these uh, metals, whether it's aluminum or cobalt or whatever, you know, these different metals that are in the environment are able to travel to the brain. Yeah. And so I wonder, you know, if part of the reason why so many people are having so much success with glyphos- with carnivore is because they're avoiding glyphosate.
0: It's very interesting. And that to me is a cat that is far out of the bag. I don't think we're ever going to get a handle on that one ever again. I mean, you hear about like organic farms and yeah, that's great. They're doing organic practices, but we've already depleted the soil by so much. So there's already way less nutrients in these foods. And if you're next door to a place that is conventional, all of that stuff's going to blow onto your farm anyway. It just seems like that, that is one that's way too prevalent that we'll never be able to walk back
1: yeah or but i mean like i said in southern portugal there's no no pesticides allowed so it uh you're um you you can be safe like you know that you know you're going to be you can eat produce and, and have have a you know a lot more uh you know I have more confidence that you're not getting any any pesticides.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. In yeah. So so I heard you mention that. I'm glad you brought this up. I wanted to ask you about this. There are places in the world that do have less prevalence of autism, right? I think you mentioned in Portugal, that's one of those places. I think you mentioned the Amish is one. Um so so it is Yeah. yeah. yeah th- those places less prevalence of autism.
1: Yeah, I mean there there are no like really good studies to to look at why but there's lots of reports of the prevalence of autism being extremely low, if not non-existent, in the Amish community. Um, and in, in southern Portugal, uh, that's just by you know, personal anecdotes, just in talking to people from being there, um, but just and and them not knowing what autism is. And so it's something that I wonder and something that um yeah, I might pursue like as you know when I have some more time in the next few years and I'm living there, but I might pursue doing some research to 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 you know measuring some uh, some of it.
0: Yeah. Well, that's fascinating. I mean, we talked about genetics, and I do believe that brains are different. But you think about, like, the Amish and the way they raise their kids. Like, they don't have as much of, like, a formal school. Like, if a kid doesn't want to take a class and wants to go build barns with his dad, they let him do that. And he gets to kind of do what he likes to do and pursue that. And you just wonder, like, the, the ADHD, autism, um you know, migraine brain, like these, these are probably genetic gifts that enhanced us in some certain way. But the environment is what triggers it to be something negative. Do you do you think that could be the case?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, ADHD, like people with ADHD, they have, you know, so much energy, they can be so inspiring. And, and once they get into, you know, the real, you know, uh, the real world in a career where they're, they're Uh, where they're supposed to be, they they thrive. And oftentimes they become leaders in in, in that, in in that area. Um, And so, yeah, depending on the environment, those, uh, you know, what's a disability, you know, becomes an asset and school has just become, and like, it's gotten worse and worse. Like, like just in, like when I was in, I was born in 79, uh, I learned how to read in first grade. Now they're teaching kids, you're supposed to know how to read by like kindergarten, but you're learning in pre-kindergarten. you're start starting to know your letters. But developmentally, that's you're not supposed to yet. And there's no benefit. Like it doesn't mean like you're not gonna, you know be a you know be more likely to go to Harvard if you learn how to read at three versus five. It's not gonna you know benefit you in any way. Um, but it's uh, I think that that you know definitely, contributes. If you have ADHD, now all of a sudden your kindergarten is gone and you can't play anymore in kindergarten. And you're like, you know, having to like sit down and and write your alphabet.
0: Yeah. Well, learning to read in first grade, you still sound pretty fluent in English. So congratulations. Um, yeah. So, so you mentioned, (laughs) you mentioned glyphosate and earlier in the conversation, you mentioned pesticides. And this reminded me of a question that I've had, um, specifically with diet. So, so we know that we add pesticides to our plants to keep insects from eating them. But, you know, we've hosted Dr. Chafee several times on our show. And one of his main messages is like, this is botany. The plants already have the pesticides in them. Is that part of the contributing factor? I know you mentioned like oxalates and things like that, but what about the innate pesticides that plants have had for millions and millions of years? Is that contributing?
1: I think so. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Um, and it, you know, took me a while to break like my, you know, the, you know, the, the thinking that I was used to where, you know, plants are where you get your vitamins and minerals from, you know, and that, that, that's kind of like what the thinking was. And I think, you know, as long as we've been, um, you know, writing things down, like ever since like modern history, we've been in agricultural society. And so we've been dependent on, you know, plants and bread and 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 that's been you know keeping us from starvation. It's been helping us grow as as a society. And so I think that's part of the reason why it seems so crazy to think that, oh wait, you don't need plants. But then when you listen to Dr. Chafee and you listen to others and, and then you just think about it logically and you realize, wow, like most of our evolutionary history, this is what we ate. And then you look at the, um, anthropological evidence and they look at some bones and like you, you learn that like, if the, they can determine like, uh, if it's pre-agriculture or not based on the health of the bone, because pre-agriculture bones are like nice, big, thick and healthy. Yeah. Um, and so, um, it's, um, yes, I, I I do, I, I do agree that, that the, uh, the oxalates for sure are um and the abundance of of plants that we eat right like it makes me crazy when i hear especially in relation to autism when i hear an an expert or a health expert say you have to eat the rainbow because if you have autism and you have a picky eater now all of a sudden you have to think about like eating the rainbow of like vegetables and produce and also how expensive is that going to be or how like how crazy is that going to be to make sure you have all you have the rainbow fresh and ready to go (laughs) Every single day. Right. Like, and and so it's um, I think that it simplifies things a lot when you uh, when you realize that when you shed that, you know, that that thinking. Yeah, that's such
0: a good point. And to think about it also, eating the rainbow 365 days out of the year, that that's not possible. If you go back even just a few hundred years ago, you couldn't do that. And now we can. And it's like here in Salt Lake City, it's the end of October at the time of recording. There has been food that has been growing. People have gardens. Um, there's been apples that have been, you know, producing fruit, apple trees producing fruit. And like just in this last week you can't find any of those foods anymore it's too cold it got too cold so whatever apples and tomatoes you got you got and that's it you if unless you have a way to preserve them you're you're stuck without them for the rest of the year until 11 months from now
1: right right yeah no no, now yeah so that that's like part of like like living in today like it's like we can eat whatever we want whenever we want we can order a supplement from you know the other side of the world and you know we can have it (laughs) whereas yeah if we were you know ancestrally yeah we wouldn't we're we're limited to what we have in our environment at that time at that time of year yeah
0: It's so interesting. Okay. So let's go back to the vaccine thing. I understand this can be very triggering and again, very high emotions around this. Um, I don't feel like I've got a dog in this fight. I like to learn about these kinds of things, but I don't have kids. And I I don't know exactly what I would do, but I know that the CDC recommendations for vaccines sure looks like a whole lot of them, like a lot of them very early. Um, that doesn't sound great to me. And I know so many people that swear He was fine. Little Timmy was fine. He got some stacked vaccine all together to, you know, save time or why ever they do it. I have no idea. But they say it, it was that moment that he fundamentally changed. I've heard that story a lot. What are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, no, I've heard it so many times too. And it's pretty much like a standard question on my form, my intake form and other intake forms. Like, was there a regression in functioning? And in the literature, it's known as like a subset of autism. That's like a regressive autism is what it's called in the literature. So it's definitely a phenomena that has been uh, documented, you know, repeatedly. But the connection between that, you know, the autism and the vaccine. Is you know you're not a, that hasn't been you know, that's the controversial part obviously that um you know up until recently I mean that you know some of the benefits I think of um you know the the lunacy of the last you know several years I think is that we're able to have this conversation now and people are starting to realize well wait a second you know uh, Hep B at birth like why 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 do we need that yeah you know, parents are tested for, for hepatitis B. You know that the parents don't have it. Baby has no chance of exposure to it. Uh, why would you you know introduce that? Uh, and, and so it's um, and that's you know just um, just just one of them. I mean, I think the thing that's most concerning for me is just that when uh, just when I learned how little research was actually done, how how little uh, research into the safety of uh, the single vaccines were actually done. Um, and let alone, you know, giving six, five or six at a time. Wow. Um, and, and so, I, I think that um, it's, um, I think if you ask the question like, "Do vaccines cause autism?" I think there's a correct answer to that, and the answer is sometimes. I think that that sometimes they do, um, but I don't think they always do, and that's why I don't think vaccines are the only part of the the picture. And I think that that's. Um, one of the the dangers of kind of like latching on to just one uh, one thing as being the cause because then then all this other stuff doesn't matter, right? Like it's just it wasn't my poor diet. It wasn't you know, my polycystic ovary. It wasn't any of that. It's not the environment. It's not the gluten. It's the vaccines. that's what it was. And I'm gonna put all the blame on that. Um, the other thing it does is, um, it leads to kind of a simplicity of thought of how to how to address the problem, right? Because if it's a toxin that's causing the problem, then I just have to remove the toxin, and the problem will resolve itself. And, and what happened when I first started my career in the early ni- um, late '90s, early 2000s? There were a lot of Dan doctors defeat autism now, and they had a great philosophy. They they I recognized that it was an environmental cause. Um, but what they ended up doing they ended up doing a lot of like chelation therapy straight off the bat so people would go to these dan doctors and they would start chelating these heavy metals and it would make the problems worse interesting and so now in dan doctors they, they no longer exist and you know, there's a lot of like you know parents of you know older you know o- older folks with autism older meaning like young 20s um who um you know, they have a negative memory of the Dan doctor. So when I talk to them about like changing diet, they're like, Oh, we tried that. I had a Dan doctor and it didn't work.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Wow. That's fascinating. Okay. So what, how, how do parents know what questions to ask? And do they generally receive a lot of pushback when it comes to deciding, you know, which vaccines to do, which ones to skip? Like, is is there good information out there that parents can go to, to be empowered about this?
1: Um, well, the best the best example of Dr. Paul Alexander has a uh, has a, has a book. I, uh, I forget the name of his book, uh, but he kind of like has you know advice for how to navigate the CDC schedule. But the important thing is having a pediatrician who's on board. Um, many pediatricians won't take you as a client if you want to uh, avoid the schedule, and so um, or modify the schedule. I shouldn't say avoid the schedule, and so um, it's definitely important to do your research. You have to like when you're pregnant, when you're thinking of pregnant, being, being pregnant, find, you know, find that pediatrician, make the appointment, um, and, uh, and, and have that in place.
0: That's great advice. I love that. Okay. Time for some more good news. Tell us about a few stories that come to mind, um, about people trying this, especially with the diet has it been challenging for them to implement. Um, or is it, is it that people can't implement it or have you found a lot of success with people that could?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I've been focusing on the people that could. I mean, there's definitely, of course, there's people who can't, and there's always going to be people that that can't for different reasons. But um, I've had, you know, uh, there there's so much so much success of people who are able to make the changes. Um, and all the time, you know, the most of the time, or pretty much all the time, it's it's when they make the changes for the whole family. A 20-year-old um, parent um, from who actually lives in far Rockaway, uh, low income. Uh, family. I didn't, didn't meet the dad because dad was working. Mom came. Dad was 20. Mom was about 18. Um, and dad, you know, found this Facebook group called Health and Hope for Autism on his own. And the second he got this diagnosis, he started implementing a, a you know gluten-free, sugar-free diet. And I, you know, tested the kid when he was four years old. You know, diagnosed him with autism. Recommended the specialized school, like like I did. Uh, and you know, got back in touch with them. You know, last year, of, I'm sorry, this September, and child's in a mainstream school. Like he doesn't need the specialized school anymore. And uh, and you know, and and they're still, you know, they're they're still you know on, on their path. And you know, so child still has autism, but he, you know, this is an example. Of, uh, usually in these cases, the child would still be in a specialized school. Uh, the Department of Education would be trying to put them into, you know. District 75 school, and everyone in New York City wants to avoid that. And so then it's, uh, they would be trying to get my help to get into a specialized school, and they don't need it anymore. So it's, uh, uh, and this is great because, like I said, this is a, they're basically teen parents from a low income community, and they were able to do it.
0: It's amazing. Do you know uh, with the parents? Did their health improve? Also, they must excuse me have also started like eating in this way. Um, Have you noticed anything about their health?
1: Uh, Well, well, not those parents in particular, but um, yes, yeah. So many other uh, you know uh, you know families that I'm seeing when when you know when I first introduce the the recommendations to them, they're like, oh yeah, well, I have fatty liver or. I have polycystic ovary or I have, I have diabetes. Uh, And so they, um, you know, they're happy to get, you know, they're motivated to make these positive changes for themselves
0: yeah that's so cool I love hearing that and just again working with so many people over the years with low carbohydrate diets you know exactly what to expect and you know how how that's going to ripple out and affect other people with all kinds of different chronic diseases and whatever things they think are maybe like more minor but are are still really crappy like the brain fog you mentioned or depression anxiety like that kind of thing it's really wonderful do you think this will ever catch on and be like a mainstream therapy Um, I know you're optimistic at the direction that things are going and more people on the ground hearing about this but do you have hope this might ever be part of the normal, like I guess like standard of care.
1: Um no, I don't think it's ever going to become the standard of care given the climate that, that we're in. But my hope is that it's going to become an option, that it's going to become something that doctors can no longer swipe under the rug. It's going to become something that doctors have to say like you can you can take this we go be shot and this is the easy way you can do this. Or you can also you know do a low carb doctor And, you know, I, I would like for at least to, you know, for when a child gets diagnosed with autism, that the specialist there presents it to the family as being, you know, one of the options of things that they should do.
0: Yeah. I think anybody in this space, that's all they really truly want is just to be able to talk about it. It was, I think a big win when the American diabetes association kind of decided that you could talk about low carbohydrate diets and, and didn't make that the primary recommendation, but at least made it possible for people to talk about. I think that's a great step in the right direction. I think that will be very, very helpful. And in the meantime, I mean, there's so many ways we're getting this message out by, you know, certain podcasts and books and articles and, and, websites like yours are just so wonderful, such a great resource for people to have. Um, and so, yeah, I hope this gets out to a lot of people and can really help some people out there. You're doing amazing work, my friend. Um, can you tell us where you would like people to go to find you to connect with you in your work?
1: Yes. Yeah. So my website is just dot integrative Integrative neuropsychological services. And, um, yeah, and I mostly do, uh, you know, neuropsych evaluations. And I, do, I, I for, at the moment, um, 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 only, you know, taking select clients for, you know, the coaching, uh, cause I'm, you know, and I'm more going to spend time, uh, you know, I want, I want to start interviewing, you know, people and, and other parents, uh, and just to, just to, to hear more about like what they're doing and, and, and what kind of success they're having.
0: That's cool. Do you think you would ever do something like a podcast in the future?
1: Yeah, I, I am. I'm in talks. I'm not sure. I don't know that I'm looking to like, do like a regular, become a podcaster and have a regular podcast but at least a podcast series where I'm interviewing parents and I'm going to gonna start with that.
0: That's cool. That would be amazing content wherever that lives, either in podcast land or someplace like YouTube. That would be very cool. And your website's awesome. Like I said, you do really good quality work. And so I imagine that would be amazing and another great resource for people out there. So thank you again, John, so very much for coming on to our show today. We really appreciate you and your work and it's such an important message and I know you're very busy. So thank you so much for taking time out of your day to come on our show. We really appreciate you.
1: Thank you, Casey. I'm so, I'm so great. I'm so so glad to be here. And yeah, if anybody, if you know anybody who uh, has autism, or if anybody listening wants to uh, share their story, especially carnivores, there, there's a bunch of autistic carnivores uh, who uh, have found lots of success. I would love to, uh, you know, talk to you and perhaps uh, record some of those conversations.
0: That's amazing. Yeah, we will absolutely keep you our, keep our eyes peeled and to send you people. But then again, thanks again, Dr. John for hitting. We really appreciate you.
1: Okay. Thank you, Casey. Thank you. Have a good-
0: And this has been another episode of Boundless Body Radio. As always, thank you so very much for listening to Boundless Body Radio. I know I say this all the time, but I really do mean it. It has been such a joy to make and produce this podcast and to watch it grow. Our business started in the pandemic in July of 2020, and we started the podcast in October of 2020. So it has been three years now, and to see that we have generated over 400,000 downloads worldwide is just simply unbelievable to me. This year in particular has been such a blast to travel to different health conferences, and not only meet some of our amazing guests, but also to meet many of you, our listeners and supporters. We really just can't thank you enough as always feel free to book a complimentary 30-minute session on our website which is myboundlessbody.com On our homepage, there is a book now button where you can find a time to speak with us about health, fitness, nutrition, whatever you like. We've loved chatting with people all over the world and many of you out there to bounce ideas off each other or to try to come up with plans to achieve specific goals or even if it's just to reach out to introduce yourselves, we would just love to meet you and connect with you there. Also, be sure to check out our YouTube channel if you'd like to watch these full interviews and also the shorter interviews on more specific topics that are taken from these full interviews. We've gotten really good feedback over there. It's also a really fun way to... To interact with people who comment, we read and reply to every single YouTube comment we get. So head on over there if you want to start a conversation and watch these um, videos. As always, if you haven't already, please leave us a five star rating and review on Apple. It really is the best way to make sure this podcast gets out there to more listeners. We've been able to keep Boundless Body Radio ad free for three years and really want to continue to do so. And so your five star ratings and reviews are the best way to support us at Boundless Body and support the podcast. Cheers. Thank you again. Silver so very much for listening to Boundless Body Radio.